This is an ABC podcast. The crew now take the safety procedures and equipment for the aircraft. We appreciate your full attention for a few moments for important safety information. So I guess if I wanted to be a truly green traveller, then I wouldn't be flying at all, right? I know. <laughs> I've heard it's really bad for the planet. But look, it's not like I'm some global jet setter who flies all over the place. It's just an occasional thing. So maybe I can make it greenish. Here's a tip I picked up from our episode about eliminating single-use products. Everywhere you go, take a waste-free kit. It's a little bag and it includes a metal straw, a cotton napkin, some wooden cutlery, a reusable coffee cup and a water bottle. And then just add in whatever else you can think of which would avoid single-use products you might be handing on the plane or at the airport, say like headphones. But is this little kit enough? I feel so small in the big scheme of things. Hi, I'm Fee Poole, and this is my husband, Pete. Hi there. And our two boys. Hi, I'm Hunter. I'm Oscar. And we're learning ways to be greener. Join us on Little Green Pod. So I might not be a glamorous nomad who spends a lot of time on the road and in the air, but Melanie Grevis-James is. She lives in Queensland, but she's a traveller, a green one. She actually edits a magazine. It's called Our Planet Travel, and she's a member of Ecotourism Australia. Melanie's going to talk us through all the ways to be an earth-friendly tourist, from the actual transport to the best destinations, and how to be responsible and respectful while you're in a new place. So please give us your full attention for important safety information. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. I feel guilty when I'm on a plane. A plane's out. Like, just should we just not even be on planes? Obviously, any sort of form of transport which is using, you know, non-efficient fuels would be preferable not to do. However, we all love travelling. I do myself, so I do feel a bit guilty as well. So it's ways to try and, I suppose, minimise that impact when you are flying, either doing things like avoiding trips where you need to do multi-sector journeys, try and do, you know, direct um, non-stop flights as much as possible. And also, I suppose, the other thing that you can do, which Not that it's the answer, but obviously doing carbon offsets as well for your flights and for your travel. I actually recommend doing it for your whole holiday, which you can do, you know, on independent sites or you can purchase your carbon offsets when you book your flights online. What happens when we do that? Like what what even is that? So basically what happens is the different airlines have different programs and their programs then support different, um, I suppose, eco-friendly projects. Some of them might be reforestation, plantations. So the money that they take from you for those offsets are put to use in more environmentally friendly programs. Whenever the seatbelt sign is on, you must have your seatbelt fastened. Consumer Group Choice says flying from Sydney to London return produces the same amount of carbon dioxide emissions as running an average home air conditioner for 7,000 hours. In fact, a UN panel says the billions of people who fly around the globe each year contribute to about 5% of human-caused climate change. For a lot of overseas travel, a plane ticket really is the only option. Mm -hmm. But what are some other ways that you can travel that are eco-friendly? Like, I'm just thinking... You know, trains, buses, cars, right down to bikes. I suppose really basically from the top, from being the worst to the best, would be obviously planes, not great. And after that would be, say, cruises. And then after that, you've got 
so cars and then ferries. Um, buses and trains are, are better, obviously. There's certainly better options. And then after that, you've got all your forms of unmotorised sports, so including you know, sailing, canoeing, kayaking, bicycling, walking, trekking. However, all of those then do depend on, obviously, the number of passengers. So, for instance, a car could still be better for you than travelling on a train or a bus if there's no other passengers on board at that time. Really? Like, so cruises are right up there? I know that a recent report that came out predicted that maritime emissions will account for up to 17% of total global greenhouse gases produced by 2050. So the cruising industry is certainly not a great industry in terms of emissions and also depends on the size of the cruise as well too and what other sustainability factors that they have on board. For instance, things like wastewater treatments, you know, in, in energy efficiencies like LED lighting. Personally, I wouldn't go on a large cruise ship. I would choose a smaller cruise um, and select one that has got really clear eco-initiatives. Um, the other thing to consider with cruises is the fact that obviously a lot of their products that they use on board have all just been purchased perhaps from their home port or wherever it is. So cruisers often don't have as much benefit or have quite little benefit to the local communities that they're visiting. Each passenger's carbon footprint while cruising is roughly three times what it would be on land. If you want to know how a cruise line is managing that impact, before you book, ask a question like, how are you dealing with all the waste on board? And what do you do to decrease emissions? Let's talk about the big Aussie dream of jumping in the car with the family and just heading off and travelling all around Australia. Mm-hmm. How environmentally friendly is that? Um, I guess if you've got a big family, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, if it's only one person, it's probably less so. But I guess it's still going to be better than, you know, getting on an aeroplane with lots of multi-trips or on a cruise ship. My favourite trips are, yeah, those sort of big family expeditions out to the outback. Outback is where I love going. But also partly of that is the reason that you can support local communities. So you can get out into our regional areas. A couple of extra tourists in a small town makes all the difference for some of those local economies. Want to help drought-affected areas in Australia? The best thing you can do is go and visit. Buy a coffee, refuel, shop at the supermarket and stay the night. The locals would love to say good day, and they'll appreciate the support. All right, in terms of destinations, like how do you pick one if you want to be eco-friendly? Obviously the main one which you'll find in most countries is national parks and then there's also some countries that are also focusing on eco-tourism as one of their key I suppose hooks but also are very dedicated to having a green experience in their country um, and that includes countries like Costa Rica, Slovenia, Norway, Vancouver has got an excellent eco-program, San Francisco, Ecuador. However I would suggest I suppose turning the question around the other way is I would be choosing to avoid destinations where there is obviously over-tourism at the moment. Like Venice? Yes, like Venice. <laughs> you know, I would be avoiding those sorts of destinations. Other ones, for instance, you know, Boracay in the Philippines, you know, Mallorca, Bali to a certain extent, you know, the main beach areas. Obviously, there's other areas that you can go to. And I guess another well-known example is Phi Island in Thailand, which have, for last year, closed down the beach to tourists indefinitely at this stage. That was from the movie. Yes. yes. Uh, so that was from the beach movie, which yes. had Leonardo in it. 
Costa Rica is considered one of the greenest destinations on the planet. The country has pledged to be carbon neutral by 2021. They have an abundance of wildlife sanctuaries and eco-friendly accommodation. And with 25% of its territory protected as national parks or biological reserves, they've sold me. Adios, Australia. See you soon. Let's talk about accommodation. How can you be a conscious hotel guest? Yeah, checking out their accreditation, you know, are they certified in terms of any sort of green programs? One of the largest ones worldwide is called EarthCheck. Also considering options like couch surfing and, you know, Airbnb and local B&B, certainly in destinations, it's a good way to also support the local community. What's the eco-certification mean? Australian tourism businesses can apply for certification after proving they're committed to sustainability. If you choose an eco-certified operator, you're choosing tourism that leaves minimal impact and helps conserve the environment. What about when we're in the hotel? Can we take the toiletries or not? (laughs) (laughs) I like Uh, those. (laughs) Yeah, and some of them are lovely. I don't use them or I I don't take them with me because I think that means that less are going into the system or, or less going into waste. Okay, we're on the ground. We've had an excellent day. We're in our destination and want a little treaty, little... Want to want to buy something, a little souvenir, a reminder of the great time I'm having. Are there things that are cool to buy, or things that we should avoid? The obvious things to avoid would be anything that's made from animal products. Um, obviously, the big ones in the top of the list would anything made from ivory or horn or anything like that. As much as possible, try to purchase from local suppliers. So, you know, visiting f- local markets or roadside stalls where you know you're buying it directly from the person who has made it. Um, you know, you'll obviously get lots of souvenirs, for instance, in Europe, which are actually made in China. So avoiding things like that. Can we ride elephants? No! No, definitely not. Why not? (laughs) They have been either trained or abused to react in certain ways for tourists. Often they're tied up for long lengths of time out of sight of tourists. And also sometimes with, say, the tiger situation, sometimes they do slightly drug them. So they are performing as they want them to perform. And so then they're not going to lash out at tourists. There is a really strong, I suppose, push to help those countries in developing wildlife experiences. That means that tourists can still see and experience those beautiful animals, but they can do it in a way that's more environmentally friendly. Welcome to Gopsaba. If your phone is in reach, you may now switch flight mode off. However, we do ask your phone from using a device between the aircraft and the terminal. Hello, I'm home. <laughs> hello, my fossils. Hi, Mum. Oh, it took forever. I know, but next time I go away, you know what? You are coming with me. And you know where we're going to go? I've been thinking about it. We're going to go to the Australian Outback and we're going to have an adventure like Burke and Wills. And we're going to go to little towns where there are hardly any people. So like Cocklebitty? Cocklebitty? Yeah, Cocklebitty. It's on the Nullarbor. 12 million flies, 5 million kangaroos and 8 people. Oh, soon to be 12 maybe. <laughs> soon to be 12, yep. Sustainable travel. I mean, there's just so much more to it than picking up after yourself. And while you're out exploring, be sure to snap a pic, share it with the hashtag LittleGreenPod. I love to see travel pics. And don't forget, you can find more episodes of Little Green Pod on ABC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Little Green Pod is an ABA, ABC. ABC Audio Studios and ABC Regional and Local Production. It's presented by our mum Fiona Poole and the producer is Samantha Turnbull. Audio engineer is Simon Branthwaite. Executive producers are Liz Keen and Rachel Fountain.